Mark chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 11. So this is our third part of the three-part study that we were doing. The first uh, week, we looked at the Pharisees coming and accusing Jesus and his disciples for not washing their hands. But we saw that, in fact, Jesus exposed them and it was their hearts that were filthy. They were clean on the outside, but inside they were not doing so good. And then we saw that kick off this three-part study. The second part last week, we looked at three stories. Jesus responds to the religious elite of that day by giving three examples of what his intentions are for people. We saw the individual. We saw Jesus intentional. And then we saw the infinitude. The individual we saw was this woman who's a Gentile that comes to Jesus and asks for healing for her demon-possessed daughter. And, and Jesus' response is pretty incredible. He says, the food is not for the dogs, but for the children. Paraphrasing. God bless you. And the woman's brilliant response, we see she's the first one in Mark to understand a parable that Jesus says. Everybody else is like, what are you talking about? This woman's like, even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I think Jesus knew her heart and he was setting everybody up to see an example of what real faith looked like. And then she was dirty, technically, by the Jewish standard, but Jesus ministered to her. Then we see the man with the mute and deaf. He couldn't speak. We see the first biblical wet willy. You guys remember that? It wasn't. He didn't spit on his finger. He just stuck his finger in his ear. We see him as a dirty person healed, Jesus physically touching him. According to Jewish law, he would be considered unclean after touching an unclean person. Jesus touches him. And then we see these 4,000 people representing what I believe is the whole world and Jesus' willingness to feed them and take care of them. This third part study is, it, it kind of is honing in a little bit on the condition and state of their hearts as a whole. We're also going to look at three different examples today in this study. And it all has to do with hardened hearts. I didn't want to spoil it for you, but I'm going to tell you so you're prepared and getting yourselves ready. The Pharisees, did they have hard hearts? They did. The disciples, did the disciples have hard hearts? They were following Jesus around, did they? Yes, they did. And then the masses, the multitudes that Jesus was feeding and healing, did they also have hard hearts? They did. And these three stories are going to set up for us and show us what it looks like to have a hardened heart and what some of the consequences are. See, I think the, the issue of hard-heartedness for us today is something that we have to talk about in the church. Because people can come to church every Sunday or they can come once a month or whatever they, you know, the case may be, and they can have a hard heart that over time just gets harder and harder and harder. And Jesus wants our hearts to be fertile ground for the word 
He wants our hearts to be in a place so that we're able to love and minister to others, so that we can be bearing the fruit of the Spirit, and in bearing the fruit of the Spirit, be a testimony, testifying of Him. But the hard-heartedness stops that from happening. It stunts spiritual growth, and it blocks us from hearing something from the Lord that He wants to teach us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning, starting in verse 11. It says, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he, deeply, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Now, as Jesus is going out from the, the Decapolis, the area where the Gentiles were, he's coming back towards the, Israel where the Jews are. As soon as he comes back in, remember we talked about before, he left because he needed a break, but he was still ministering to people. He's starting to come back, and the first people that greet him when he's coming back are the people that are opposing him again. It's like, give me a break. Can I catch some flack here? Jesus comes. They approach him. And it says, they say, uh, seeking, they, they were seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Man, Jesus. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Do you know how long Jesus had been with them up until this point? Two years. Do you know how many miracles that multitudes of people have witnessed and people are talking about? Jesus even did publicly. Remember when they're accusing me? He said, I didn't do anything in secret. I mean, I told people not to say anything, but they couldn't keep their mouths shut. And they went around telling everybody, and everybody saw everything that Jesus was doing. He's like, I'm not trying to hide anything. They had seen miraculous things. They had seen God touch people's lives. Yet they were still in a place. Listen to this. They were in a place where they're asking the Son of God to do a miracle that they might accuse him. Isn't that insane? Yeah, I dare you to heal me, Jesus, so that I can see what you did wrong and then I can bring it against you. You know how many times you probably have talked to people and they say, if only God would just give me a sign. I was just talking to somebody recently. They said, you know, if God would just give me a sign and show me that he's real. I said, you've been living your whole life with your eyes closed. That's all God's been doing is giving you signs. He's been showing himself to you over and over and over again. Grace and I, uh, on one Monday morning, we took the kids, went to this quaint little breakfast place to have breakfast with the kids out. We walk in and there's this guy there who we've been witnessing to and sharing to. And he's all freaked out that we're there. And I'm like, hey, sorry, man. You know, we go out sometimes. Come to church on Sunday, too, you know? And we're talking a little bit, chatting. And then they leave. And then we start to eat our meal. And he comes back like five, ten minutes later. He's like, hey, I need to talk to you, you know? Can you come outside for a second? I said, sure. So I step outside. He said, how did you know I was here? Well, you know... 
I didn't know. He's like, did my girlfriend call you and tell you that I was coming here? Because this is really weird, you know, I just, there's something happening right now. And I was like, yeah, you know what's happening? God is pursuing you. God wants you to know that he loves you. God wants you to know that it's not okay to continue to live in sin. God wants you to be reconciled to him. That's what God is doing. And for everybody, like people say that they want to have signs, but the reality is it doesn't matter what God does for them. Especially if they've already started to harden their heart. Verse 13 says, And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now this is kind of hard to take, but try to hear it out, okay? They're accusing Jesus. Their hearts are hard. Jesus says he's not going to give them a sign after all the signs that he's already shown everybody. So what is Jesus' response to them? He leaves. He leaves. Jesus leaves where he's not welcome. Jesus doesn't force anybody to believe in him. He doesn't force anybody to have heart surgery. That's something that we willingly have to do by laying down on the table. And allowing him to open us up. You know what? It's uncomfortable and it hurts and it stinks. But there has to be a willingness and they weren't willing. So what did Jesus do? He left. You guys know any other stories in the Bible where somebody had seen miracles and had hardened their heart in spite of those miracles? Maybe 10 miracles? Any that you guys can think of? Pharaoh very clearly saw the, the awesome power of God in a way that nobody else had ever seen it. And he kept, he kept waiting to get more and more and more and more. But what was, what was the problem? Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It was hardened. And sometimes this is the case for the world. Their hearts are hardened you are in a position where you're able to love them and you're able to share with them. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can leave. <laughs> Sometimes you don't have a choice, right? You're in a position with somebody where you're with them. But it has to be up to them. They have to respond. Even in the presence of Jesus. Why does this generation seek a sign? You know, I think it's interesting how Jesus specifically talks about generations. It seems like as a culture, society, we give ourselves over to certain things and we become a, a generational kind of, we have generational kinds of issues. We come out of those things or we readjust when we see they're not healthy or good. But really, it's, it's interesting how a whole society will buy into those things. I think it's also important for us to look at our generation. What are some of the things that our generation of people, you guys are part of it because you're here. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell them you love them. You're part of the generation of this generation. What are some of the things of this generation that could cause a hardening of heart towards God that they wouldn't receive who he is? What are some of the things? I'm going to say it. You guys are going to hate me so bad. The interwebs. The internet is hardening people's hearts. We're going crazy now. 
you know, I'm going to start bringing up all kinds of stuff. We're not using the internet here anymore, okay? Stop the live stream! <laughs> it's, it's how you allow it to affect you. But our culture and our society says that you have to... Be, I find myself, like, physically drawn to my phone so I can check who has done any recent status updates. I'm just being, I'm just being honest. It's hard for me. I justify turning my phone off when I pray because what if something happens? In fact, it just happened this morning. I'm turning my phone off so that we can do live stream and it doesn't get any notifications or, or interruption, you know, interruptions. And then I find out that something happened, that somebody could have texted me, but I can't check my phone. It's so hard. I just want to touch my phone. It's so far away. It's a silly thing, but there's other things. That are, that are not so silly. So I'm not saying so much for us because we're the disciple, the disciple category, right? We're the next ones that we're going to talk about. But for the rest of the world, how can we understand the hardness of people's hearts so that we can help them get softened up a little bit, talk to them? This whole marriage equality issue, you know? I can come out and, and have a stand and say, you know what, you guys are all going to hell. I'm never going to one of those kind of weddings, blah, 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 and, and don't ever talk to me either. But that is a me hardening of my heart. Like, I want to talk to these people, you know. I want to talk to people with different perspectives. I want to talk to Democrats. I want to talk to Republicans because, you know. We just lost five people. I'm out of here. I'm not a Democrat or Republican, so just kidding. But by understanding those things, we're able to reach out and touch people's lives better. So they were in a place where they were, they were so hardened that Jesus had to leave. There is nothing that he could say except, I'm not going to give you guys a sign. No sign is given. Verse 14, now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread. But Jesus being aware of it said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand is your heart Still hardened. Man, those disciples. I think sometimes, I think I shared this last Sunday too, but I think sometimes how cool it would be to be with Jesus. You know, you're hanging out with him. You're like, oh yeah, you know, people are freaking out because miracles are happening. You're like, I saw that 10 times already. Why don't you come hang out with us for a little bit, you know? He's feeding 5,000, he's feeding 4,000, and they start tripping over a loaf of bread. And I think, man, what is going to be my hang-ups if I was walking with Jesus? Because there's going to be things that bother me too. There's going to be things that I don't think he's doing right. You follow me? Things that I think Jesus isn't doing right? Because that's how I feel now, you know? I'm like, Lord, if you'd do this, that'd be sweet. God, if you'd do this for us, that would be awesome. 
Why are you doing this? This hurts. I don't want this. This is uncomfortable. I'm tired. But this, the, the response is the same. They responded the same way we would in that kind of situation, even if we think that we wouldn't because we're special. We're different. He says, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Those are two people that you don't really think that Jesus would put together because the Pharisees and Herod, they weren't like hanging out. You know, the Pharisees represented the Jewish class and Herod represented the political class. But why did he do these, put these two together? Well, it was because the Pharisees, as we just saw, had a hardening of heart. They had an opportunity to believe, but they rejected. If you remember, Herod had the same opportunity. In fact, he didn't want to kill John the Baptist who was preaching repentance until there was this little belly dance routine or whatever it was, and he said, hey, whatever you want in, in all of the kingdom, tell me. And she went and asked her mom, and her mom said, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. He was sorry he had opportunity to respond. But then he made his decision and he rejected. And he's speaking to disciples who are hard-hearted. And he's warning them. He's saying, be careful of this leaven. You know what leaven is? Leaven is, in, in the Bible, it's, it's, it signifies sin. Here's our first clue into what a hardened heart is. A hard heart is the result of sin. Always. Always. So if he identifies for them what the sin issue is, why their hearts are being hardened, and then he's trying to teach them, but their hearts are hard too, man, this is just complicating things. I can, I can follow his frustration, his difficulty. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? <coughs> and having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? Point number two about a hard heart, if you're taking notes. A hard heart makes it difficult to understand what God is doing in your life. If your heart is hardened you don't really get it so much. Even when it's to the magnitude, even when it's to the magnitude of, of Jesus feeding 5,000 people from a kid's lunch, feeding 4,000 people. Sometimes I talk to people and I say, hey, how, you know, how do you not understand what's happening right now in your life? They're like, I don't know, I just don't get it. It's like, where's the hardness coming from? Where's the roots of the issue so we can address it? So you can address it, because you need to. Herod was close to believing, but something stopped him. 
The Pharisees were close, but something stopped them. The disciples were close. Something prohibited them. But Jesus, with the disciples, he still desires to do what we see, to teach. He's like, I want to help bring understanding. I want to help get you to the place where you're not hard-hearted anymore. And it's easy to talk about how the world has hard hearts towards stuff. It's easy to talk about this generation, right? It's easy to talk about the Pharisees, the people who, who you know, are, are, are write-offs for everybody. They're weirdos. But when we start talking about disciples, that's us. It's a little bit harder to process. And, and we're talking about dirtiness. If sin is what hardens hearts, but the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he is willing. He's more than willing to cleanse us, to wash us of all unrighteousness. So the question is, listen, don't don't get mad at me, okay? Because this is the Bible we're reading. The question is this morning, what, what is hardening in your heart? What's hardening? What's hard? What's been hard for a long time? What do you not want to be broken up a little bit? Now, here's the thing. If we're honest with ourselves and we look and say, what is my heart hardened towards? We're able to take the next step. Ultimately, that's a recognition of sin in our life. And we want to know if we're messing up, right? We don't want to just continue to live that way. And then with that heart, that hard heart starting to be broken up, starting to be softened, what starts to happen? We become more fruitful. We become better. You talk to people with completely hardened hearts. They don't care about anything. They don't care about anyone. The only person they care about is themselves. And do you know what? They're miserable. They're miserable. So if you take that example of somebody who has a completely hardened heart, and then you take just a piece of that, and you put it right here, doesn't that mean that that part of my heart that I've allowed to be hardened is going to make me miserable in that regard? It's just... I'm not as miserable, so it's not that big of a deal. Do you think that the disciples wanted to understand the stuff that Jesus was saying? I, I think so. I think they wanted to understand. Listen to this. Do you want to understand the things that Jesus has to say to you today? Because by having a hard heart, you will prohibit the understanding that he wants to give you. He still loves you. He's still willing to teach you. He wants to bring you through it. But the longer you allow yourself to remain in that place, the harder it's going to get, the less you're going to grow. The issue's not going to be addressed. And you're not going to have understanding to the degree that you could have. Also, I broke the seven for the 4,000. How many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him. 
and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, I didn't write it, put his hands on, his, put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Then he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Very interesting. Last story that closes up our third part of the three-part studies. This is kind of what brings it together. First of all, he says that they came to Bethsaida. This is one of the cities that Jesus rebukes for their lack of faith. You guys remember? Woe is you. This is also the city, this is also the city that Peter, Andrew, and Matthew are from. This is their hometown. You remember when we started the Gospel of Mark, it's most likely most people agree that it's Peter who's writing this or dictating it to Mark who's writing it down. So they go to the place where a few of his closest disciples are from. And as they go in, people are begging for him. There's, there's this blind man brought to him and people are begging that he would touch him. So he took the blind hand by the hand and led him out of town. That's our clue, Right? Because up until now, you know, Jesus is doing everything publicly. Even if he does it publicly, he tells them, hey, guys, don't tell anybody or whatever. But this time he actually separates the man. He takes the time. Jesus is the son of God. He can do it right there. He can snap his fingers. But he takes the time to say, let's go, follow me. And he walks this guy out of the town to heal him. Why? We know through other scripture that it's because there was a hardness in this city towards Jesus. We also know that places that didn't believe in Jesus, he couldn't do as many miracles there. But he loved this dude, and he wanted to take care of him. But he couldn't do it in a place that was full of hard hearts. We see the hardness of the Pharisees. We see the hardness of the disciples. We see the hardness of a city doesn't prohibit Jesus from touching his life, but it makes him take him out, withdraw, instead of being part of a miracle that was also a fulfillment of that scripture that we read last week in Isaiah chapter 35. They didn't believe that somebody who was born blind could ever receive sight. This was like one of the biggest miracles that you could do, right? Because it, it's not something that happened after the fact. It's not something you could correct somehow. It's you were being formed in your mother's womb and your eyes did not develop the way that they were supposed to and, and you're never going to get healed of this. But in faith, they bring him to Jesus and it's their faith that's commended for it, not the faith of the city. And Jesus 
heals him. We'll read that again in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. This is a prophecy in Isaiah speaking of the Messiah. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. The water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the mountains. Jesus is not just healing a blind man. Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. You know the same thing happens for you guys? When you ask God for stuff, when you, when, you, when you need help and he responds, Jesus isn't just doing you a favor. God isn't just helping you out. He's fulfilling his character, who he's supposed to be. It was written. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's who he is. Amen? Now, the question is, if we do need things, if we are praying, if we are seeking God, right? Is that little part of hardness in our hearts, whatever it is for you, I know what it is for me, darn it. Whatever it is, is it prohibiting God from doing something in your life that he wants to do? Does it mean that he has to remove you to do a miraculous work in somebody else's life because you're not in a place to be able to receive it too? That's hard. We don't talk about that kind of stuff because Jesus, he loves everybody. He wants everybody to feel good and be motivated. Lots of books about being happy. We don't want to be interested and say what's my issue what's my problem but the reality is we have to we have to and i find this the more that i'm willing to submit myself on the operating table of the heart great heart surgeon however difficult it is in having those hard spots addressed I always feel so much better afterwards because I'm healthier, right? The heart speaks of the person. The heart is who you are. The Bible talks a lot about the heart. Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David knew the value of having a clean heart. Which is interesting because we're talking about dirty hearts. Dirty hearts are hard hearts. Dirty hearts are connected to, for David, sin, adultery, murder, those things that he actually did. His response in that is that God created me a clean heart. I don't want to have a dirty heart. Sometimes I find myself... Not saying it with my lips. Well, maybe only once or twice. That's not good, though. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let somebody get a little bit comfortable and start to allow things to roll off their tongue. It's indicative of where their heart is. Now, I'm not talking about us being the judges and saying, that guy's got a hard heart. You hear what he say? <laughs> Man, I'm a, I'm a heart-testing inspector. Find out how hard your heart is. No, but for me, it's not actually saying it. It's just thinking it. 
Oh, man, I can't believe that person. They're such a dirty, rotten scumbag. You know, real G-rated stuff in my head. And then, and then I have to stop and I say, wait, wait a second. Why am I, why am I res- responding? Why am I acting like this? Why am I thinking these thoughts? Have you guys ever asked yourself, why did I just think that? Where did that come from? Why am I thinking these things? Why do I hate that person so much? And instead of allowing it to continue, right, I stop, stop and say, God, I don't want to think those thoughts. And I feel like David created me a clean heart because my heart's dirty right now. If my heart was clean, then I wouldn't be thinking those things. I wouldn't be tempted or wanting to share those things with that person if my heart was clean. Jesus just said it how it was. He's like, you guys don't understand because your hearts are hard. What's wrong with you? Get it together. So when we say, look, here's our heart. Make it clean, Lord. We're your disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. Does that mean that the filthy in heart don't get to see God? Well, Jesus left the Pharisees, who was very clear in that scripture and in others when he calls them a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. You know what whitewashed tombs are? You know, everybody loves a nice, fresh, white-painted tomb, <laughs> right? Don't you guys like white tombs? But it's just something that's on the outside making it look nicer when in, in reality there's death inside. That's what he says to them. You guys are whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Whoa, <laughs> Jesus, take it easy. <laughs> People aren't going to be willing to follow you anymore. Oh, yeah, you you think that one's bad? Eat my flesh and drink my blood or you'll have no part of me. Well, we're out of here. What's going on? Hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. And I know that you guys don't want to be in that place of having any kind of a hard heart. I know that you guys are the kind of disciples of Jesus that want to, to follow him and have an understanding of everything he's trying to do in your life right now. Now, I want to say this, but I also want to say something else. So, so don't, don't get ahead of yourself, okay? God wants you to have an open, fertile heart to be able to receive what he wants to teach you, okay? A hard heart brings confusion and takes away from understanding. If you're in a place right now in your life where you're having a hard time understanding what God is doing in your life, listen, it could be that you have a hard heart. It could be that part of your heart is hard. It could be that something needs to be addressed for the Lord before you can have the understanding that he wants you to have. Now, in saying that, I also want to say that it may not be. It could be something else. It could be a trial. It could be God testing you. It could be him trying to teach you something else. But you're the one and I am the one who has to recognize and identify if a lack of understanding right now is coming from a hardness of hearts. Because we know the world's going to have hard hearts. 
We know the masses are going to have hard hearts. But we as his disciples, we want to understand. We want to hear. We want to be willing to be in a place that God can use us. Do you guys want to be used by God? There's not enough emphasis behind that. Do you guys want to be used by God? There's many vessels in a large house. Vessels of gold, vessels of silver. Some for clean purposes and some for unclean purposes. What kind of vessel are you? Are you a vessel that is able to be willing to be used and is clean for every good work the master wants to use for you? Are you a vessel of unrighteousness that maybe he'll still use you, but not really the way that you'd like to be used? Think of it this way. This is how I think of it. Don't get offended, okay, you guys? I think, think of porcelain, you know? Porcelain can be used as uh, 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 two applications in your house. What's one application porcelain is used? Toilet. The toilet's made out of porcelain. I mean, it's necessary, but it's not something that people are rushing to go clean when they're chore, it's chore time. You put it off till last. What's another thing of, that's made out of porcelain in your house? My trusty Ethiopia coffee mug. I got that sucker when we were over there, and I love that thing. It kind of looks weird, you know. Can't understand what the picture is, but it's cool. And whenever I reach up into my cabinet to grab my cup, and I see it's there, oh, good, my Ethiopia cup is clean. And I get it, and I go down and look, and oh, man, somebody messed up in my cup. And it didn't get clean. Oh, well, yeah, OJ, <laughs> I drink everything out of that cup. I don't just drink coffee. Do I just, do I just use it anyway? No, I don't. What do I do? You women know what you would do. What would you do? You would clean the cup. You men, what would you do, men? You put the cup in the sink and you get another cup. <laughs> That's what God does, you know? He's like, you've got to set this cup aside until it gets cleaned. And it's ready to be used. And I'll get a, a vessel of righteousness that's fitting for every good work. Every sip of coffee is a good work of the Lord. So what are, what, where are we? Are we content with being partially clean? Are we content with being mostly unhardened? Or do we want to come before the Lord today and say, Lord, if your disciples experienced it and they're with you, there's a huge chance and probability that I have an issue too. That there's something from stopping me from being used to the capacity that you want to use my life. And don't misunderstand because I think that this gets jumbled up sometimes in our heads. This is not talking about full-time ministry. Or going down and, and feeding people that need help. Or, or humanitarian mission trips 90% of the year. There's things that God wants to, that God has throughout every day for you. That's crazy. Don't listen. There's stuff that God has for you every day that he's preordained. Steps for you to walk. Good works for you to walk in. 
But is it possible that day comes and your heart isn't where it should be and the Lord says, I'll put this one in the sink and I'll use one that's clean. I don't want that. I don't want that. You don't want that. Because when God uses you, oh, it's so good. When God uses us, it's like the fulfillment of our lives. That's why I love you guys so much. That's why I love our church so much. Because when we all get together, we're having potluck today. When we all get together, God ministers to his body. He cares for us. He cares for each individual and corporately as well. Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded of that worship song, that older worship song that we don't sing so much anymore. It says, give us clean hearts. Give us clean hearts. Give us pure lips. Let us not lift our soul to another. Let's lift our souls to you alone. God, cleanse our hearts. Identify in our hearts what needs to be taken care of so that we're not dirty, that we're willing to be those vessels of righteousness, that we can be used to a greater degree, that your church can be your representation here on earth in a way that we've never seen before for, for our church, for your church, for paradise, for this valley, Lord, for Las Vegas. That as you use us, we would bless you, we would bless others, and we would give people proper understanding of who you are. We love you, Lord. We thank you, even in the difficult lessons, for being faithful to teach us, being faithful to bring up things that need to be discussed, and giving us the grace and mercy to respond to your spirit and hear what he has to say to his church in Jesus' name.